people. Good to see everybody here tonight. If you don't know me, my name is Austin Connor, one of the uh, co-directors here at Veritas. Starting my ninth year on Veritas staff. Uh, it's, I just feel old. Uh, that's all I'll say about that. Um, this is my family behind me. Uh, my wife, her name is Polly. She's actually in the back. Where is she? Raise her hand. Yep, there she is. She loves that I did that. Uh, say hi to Polly if you see her uh, after the talk. Uh, these are our kids. Adeline is five. Tyler is three. And uh, fresh out of the oven is Clayton. He's uh, five months. I probably can't say that. Sorry. Uh, you get it. He's a new child. Um, anyway, love my job. Love working uh, here at Veritas. So, so glad, glad to see everybody here. If you've been with us the past couple weeks, uh, you know that we've been working our way through the Gospel of Mark. That's the second book in the New Testament. And we've been answering uh, and thinking about and camping out on the question, who is Jesus? It's the most important question we can ask ourselves. Who is Jesus? Now, Mark is a really good person to help us answer that question because he's getting his information from the Apostle Peter, who was one of Jesus' closest disciples. And so last week, Kyle gave us some insight as to what it means to follow Jesus. Now, if you haven't got a chance to listen to it, we post all the talks on our website, veritasmizzou.com. If you get a chance, go ahead and listen to it. This week, it's a great, great talk. Uh, we're going to keep doing the same thing. We're going to keep learning tonight about what does it mean to follow Jesus. Who is he and why is it worth it? And we're going to start with a story. A uh, story about my daughter, Adeline. Now, when this story happened, she was three. She should be up there. Uh, don't, oh, no, you've already fallen under her trap already. Be careful. So when she was three, Polly got a really good idea. You know, she's kind of crafty, and she thinks, hey, I'll go make her a blanket. It's kind of her own blanket. We'll do it together, uh, mother-daughter type stuff. So uh, she goes to the uh, mother hen store called Joanne's Fabrics uh, and thought it'd be fun to let Adeline pick out the fabric. So she picked My Little Ponies. They're ponies. They're little. That's all I know about them. Anyway, they had a great time doing it. They go to the checkout line, and I guess it was a busy day there at the hen house. And so there's like four women in front of them, four women behind them, and they're waiting in line. Adeline's doing a good job at first, but then she gets impatient. By the time she gets to the front of the line, uh, Polly's looking around, and she sees Adeline taking off the other way. Uh, and so she starts screaming at Adeline. Adeline, stop. She turned around, thought for a second, and just kept running. So Polly tells the woman who's cutting the fabric, hey, just, just cut this for me. I'm going to go get my daughter. Well, what the woman heard was, let's make an announcement over Joanne's fabric that there's a daughter loose. So she's like, uh, we got code five, uh, toddler on the loose, over. So at this point, uh, the thing that my wife hates the most, all the attention is on her. She has to march down, grab Adeline out from under the rack, pull her back into the line. She gets down really close, and she's not scared that Adeline was gone. She's, she's mad. She gets down really close, and in her best authoritative voice says, Adeline. You cannot run away from me. Adeline thinks about it for a second and just, boom! Headbutts my wife in the middle of Joanne Fabric with 10 to 20 women watching the whole thing. I've, this is the stuff of legend at our house. We call it the headbutt heard around the world. It was bad. So I, I tell that story, it's a great story, but, but it shows clearly Adeline 
did not follow Polly in any sense of the term, literally, figuratively, the whole thing. She thought mom's power over her was not good. She thought it was a threat, and she decided to headbutt the threat. Now, uh, speaking of people in power, of course, there are people who have power over us that it is not right and it is not okay to follow. It's not good for us. Thinking of any sort of church leader, sports leader, mentor who would abuse the people they're supposed to be leading and caring for just to get their own way. That's not okay. The government official who gets rich at the hands and in, at the expense of the people that they're called to serve. So there's for sure bad examples, but, but more often than not, we find ourselves failing to follow people with power when we should. You see, more often than not, if you're like me, your initial reaction to those people is, is to kind of do what Adeline did, to headbutt them, hopefully not literally. Um, you know, there, there's examples all over the place, professors. You know, a professor has power over you. Their job is to help you learn, help you steward their resources, your time, so that you can thrive in your vocation after college. But you know what? A lot of times, let's be honest, nobody wants to listen to professors. Nobody likes professors. Nobody likes it when they assign a lot of homework. In fact, you start to figure out ways to cut corners, maybe even cheat. RAs in the dorms. Uh, Sorority and fraternity house mom and dads. You know, these people have power over us. And in many ways, their job is to make sure people have safe living conditions. But a lot of times, maybe it's you, maybe you know people, they could care less. God bless you for trying to enforce the rules. We're going to have the party in the house. We're going to sneak alcohol in. We don't care. You know, governments, government officials, they make rules, create laws so that society can be safer, so that we can thrive and flourish. But if you're like me, a lot of ways, you pick and choose which laws you want to obey. Let's go ahead and speed. Let's go ahead and text and drive. I don't know if that's illegal. It probably should be. I do it too much. You know, let's go ahead and download music. Let's look for fake IDs. The drinking age is stupid anyway. Right? You, you get it. On and on we can go. Examples of people who we don't want to follow because they have power over us. And what's more, here's the added layer to it. We are bombarded with messages from the media, from the internet, from television, news stories all over the place that confirm and contribute to our natural mistrust of those in power. Think, I mean, think about it. It's not all that uncommon to hear about some latest scandal in Washington, a politician who's corrupt or has cheated on, his, on their spouse. That serves to confirm that all government officials are corrupt and they can't be trusted, they can't be good for us. Think about when you hear about another police officer who has unfortunately discriminated against another person, another friend, another group of people. That just goes to show it confirms that all police everywhere cannot be trusted. We can't follow them. When we hear about another pastor's moral failings, you know, if we're, if we're not Christians, we're thinking about it, maybe we're embarrassed by it. We think, you know what, that just shows, once again, why it doesn't matter what I believe. Christianity doesn't make a difference. So who cares? You know, all these experiences, they're powerful teachers. And all too often, the lesson, which is a lot of times unconscious, we don't think about it, it's loud and clear. People with power cannot be trusted. They're not good for us. Whatever you do, don't follow them. But here's where it gets really interesting. 
if you're a Christian here tonight, we've got to address the elephant in the room, the fact that we've been called to follow a king. Jesus is a king. You know what a king does? A king legislates, a king rules, a king makes rules and enforces them and has authority, has power. You see, Jesus at his core is a king. And he wants to have power over our lives. Now, surely by now you can see the disconnect, right? You can see where things might get miscommunicated. You see, it's not natural for us to follow a king. It's not natural for us to follow Jesus. Our experiences have taught us, mostly unconsciously, that it's not good to follow somebody that wants that much power. Add to that, we are wired to put ourselves at the center of our own kingdom. The deck is stacked against us, and the result is, in a lot of ways, that we begin to import our own beliefs, import our own experiences onto who Jesus is as a king without even touching a Bible. Without even touching a Bible. That's a, that's a tragedy. We don't want that to happen. So my hope tonight is that we leave here with a greater love for Jesus, a greater willingness to give him power over our lives, maybe even just to consider Jesus a little bit more if you're not already doing that as we read God's word. And here's what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to do that. We're going to ask two main questions that are going to help us get a clear, faithful picture of who King Jesus is. Number one, what does Jesus do with his power? What does he do with his power? And question two, how should we respond to that power? So let's pick it up in Mark chapter 1. If you got your Bible, Mark chapter 1, verse 21. And they, that's Jesus and his disciples, they went into Capernaum. And immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, okay, in a crowd this size, no doubt we've got lots of opinions on demons. All right? Some of us take them very seriously. But others of us are very skeptical. We really, really just don't believe in demons. Now, here's the deal. We're not going to solve the issue tonight. But if you are skeptical, if you have a problem believing in demons, let me just speak to you just for a second. There's a guy named Tim Keller. He asked a couple of really good questions. Question one, okay, if you believe in a supernatural good being like God, is it so crazy to believe in a supernatural evil being? I don't think that's too far-fetched. You know, secondly, is it really so crazy if we look at all the things going on in the world, all the natural disasters caused by deaths, all of the corruption, all of the terrorist attacks, is it really that far-fetched to think that there might be something else behind those, something in addition to people's bad choices and accidents? You know, the more you think about it, I think the more plausible it becomes to believe that demonic forces, they might just exist. You know, the authors of the New Testament have no problem believing in demons, and more importantly, Jesus has no problem believing in demons. But back, back to our verses. The first thing that we see Jesus do with his power is he casts out a demon. So we start, the, the whole story starts in a synagogue. Now there's a picture of, of what a synagogue would have looked like in the original ancient Near Eastern context, the big building, uh, lots of rooms, there's these pillars. The next picture shows 
there's an actual ruins of one over in the Middle East. Now, if you were a faithful Jew, you would head to the synagogue every Sabbath. And you would sit and you would hear the law. That's the Old Testament. It's the Pentateuch, first five books of the Bible. You would hear that law read and interpreted. So imagine Jesus coming to Veritas on Tuesday. Imagine Jesus going to the crossing on Sunday. It's just kind of the normal thing you did. You go to a synagogue. Moreover, it was customary to let people who were visiting stand up and give their thoughts. That'd be like if, uh, Lord help us, Paul Spring, not Lord help you, if, if you, you know, we sing some songs and you come up and we want to hear from Paul on this. That's not too crazy. So what they do is they invite Jesus up to speak. But then it's, it really starts to get pretty crazy. Okay, so you're sitting there in the first century and your friend Bob, okay, you've been going to the synagogue for years with Bob and all of a sudden he interrupts Jesus. He stops the sermon. And he starts screaming. And pretty soon you realize, okay, this is not Bob. There's something else going on because this person is saying some pretty crazy things. This demon, look at what it says again. It knows that Jesus has a home. Demon says Jesus of Nazareth. Nazareth is Jesus' hometown. This demon knows that Jesus has extreme power to destroy not only him, but all of his buddies, all of his forces, the entire demonic army says, have you come to destroy us? And lastly, this demon knows who Jesus is. He says he's the Holy One of God. This is not your everyday service. Let's go on to verse 25. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent, come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. Notice what Jesus does. It's right there. Jesus rebukes him. You see, this word in the original Greek, it carries with it the idea of a threat. Jesus is really serious. And he commands the demon to be silent, come out of the man, and it actually happens. But also, notice how Jesus did it. He didn't put on a big show and dance. He didn't need a lot of time. He didn't need to work himself up. He just speaks. He just speaks. Okay, behind me is a picture of uh, Olympic cycling. I did way more research on this than I ever thought I would, uh, and maybe anybody should. Uh, so here's the track. Uh, Olympic cycling, uh, there's lots of different races, but this, uh, there's a 1,000-meter race. It's about 0.6 miles. The world record is about 58 seconds. And so there's another one up there. You see these cyclists kind of start jockeying for a position. The bikes cost about at least $3,000. Uh, they're aerodynamic, they're made of titanium alloy, you can lift them with one finger, pretty big deal here. Now, I'm going to pick on somebody else. Let's imagine our good friend Nick McHenry up there playing the bass. Where's Nick? Yo, there he is. Imagine Nick McHenry enters the Olympic cycling race and attempts to break the world record. Okay, now let's imagine that he also tries to do it on his huffy, his trusty old huffy. And imagine he breaks the world record, lo and behold, by three seconds. That's amazing. But what's more amazing is that he did it on that bike. There is nothing about the bike that can be commended. It's all about the cyclist in the same way. Okay, it's amazing enough that Jesus would expel a demon. I've never seen a demon be expelled. That would be pretty crazy. But to do it just using words, everybody uses words, it shows us there's just a whole nother level of power. 
that we're dealing with here. Jesus is on an entirely new level. So Jesus, he used his power to cast out a demon. See what happens in verse 27. All the people in the synagogue, they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. So let's answer that second question. How should we respond to Jesus' power? Again, it's right there. We should be amazed. The people in the synagogue were amazed. They were astonished. They were jolted out of their routine. They were startled. Now remember, this whole thing is taking place in a synagogue, an ordinary place, Middle Bush Auditorium, sorry, Conservation Auditorium. This isn't out of the ordinary for them, and yet it is out of the ordinary. You know, where, where are your ordinary places? Is it Memorial Union? Do you have class five times a week in conservation? Cornell, do you have a job at Starbucks? Is it your dorm room, your fraternity, your sorority house? Where are your routines? You get up, you eat lunch, you do homework in the morning, Maybe you work out, maybe you, you know, go, go to small group, go to Veritas. In those ordinary places, in those ordinary routines, when's the last time you were amazed by Jesus? Last time you went to small group, last time you read your Bible, when was the last time you were startled, amazed by Jesus? I mean, don't, don't you see who's here the demons saw it. The demons saw it. He knew this is Jesus of Nazareth, the king, the one with power, the holy one of God was in his midst. Jesus, through his spirit, is in our midst everywhere. He's on Mizzou's campus, Moberly's campus, Columbia College's campus, Stevens' campus. He's at the gym. He's at your job in the dining hall that you hate, that you serve people, you clean trash. He's at that job. He's in that class. He's everywhere. Do we see it? Are we smarter than a demon? Is a demon smarter than us? We don't need to go anywhere else to meet Jesus because he's, he's right here through his spirit. You guys ever played the game Bigger and Better? I did that with my small group a couple years ago. Yeah, I, I probably had way too much fun. I don't know what that says about me. But you know, you take something really small like a penny and you try to trade up. Do you feel like that defines your relationship with Jesus? Do you feel like you need to move on to something bigger, something better, something more exciting? Maybe you've done something you regret. You need to do something to please Jesus, bigger and better, more exciting. Why do you do that? How's that going for you? I would imagine you're exhausted. I'm exhausted when I do that. We don't need to be because Jesus is with us in our ordinary places, in our ordinary routines. Let's keep going. Verse 29. So immediately he left the synagogue and he entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up and the fever left her and she began to serve them. Second thing we see Jesus doing with his power is that he heals sickness. He heals sickness. So after Jesus casts the demon, he heads back to Peter's home. Now, there's another ancient ruins here. Archaeologists have uncovered what they think of probably is Peter's home. 
Uh, it's that little circle right in the middle there, kind of a bad picture. You can, you can kind of see it. You know, you can go see it today in northern Israel. Uh, I say that to show that this is, we're reading history here. This stuff actually happened on the earth. You can go find this. So Jesus went back to the small house and he met Peter's mother-in-law. Now let's look at what does Jesus actually do? These, these verses in Mark, they're just so jam-packed. They're so action-packed. Sometimes we just need to slow down and just catch some things here. Jesus caused the fever to leave Simon's mother-in-law. He told the cells in her body what to do, and the cells actually obeyed. You know, scientists think uh, the average person has about 37 trillion, with a T, 37 trillion cells in your body. You take that times 7 billion, it's a lot of cells. But here's the deal. Jesus is in control he has power. He is king over every single cell in our bodies. More than that, notice how he heals her. I, I just said a little, a little bit ago, like two seconds ago, he said the cell should come out. He didn't say anything. He told the demon to come out of the, the man, but what does he do here? He just takes her by the hand. All he does is touch this woman. Why do you think that is? Why couldn't he have said something? Why couldn't he have done and healed this woman 100 miles away? Why couldn't he have done this simultaneously while he's healing people with cancer and, in, and shriveled hands and limps and aches and pains? I mean, Jesus has a world to save. Don't you think he knew all the problems, what was going on? Why couldn't he be more efficient? What's he doing? Jesus took her by the hand. You know, Jesus has ultimate power but he also shows unnecessary compassion. He shows Simon's, Peter's mother-in-law, unnecessary compassion because he slowed down. He went into that dark, dusty, probably smelly room. He knelt down beside her and he grabbed her hand and she was healed. What do we do with that? How do we respond to that power? Well, here's the deal. We should come to Jesus. We should come to Jesus. You know, what illnesses do you have? What loved ones are sick? What friends are sick? What aches and pains do they have? What have you tried? You know, how much have you spent on medical bills? How many doctors have you seen? Now, these things aren't bad at all. They're good, okay? We need them. But have you taken it to Jesus? Have you asked him for help? Have you come to him? You know, I know some of you in this room right now, you're in a lot of pain. You've, you've literally tried everything and you've come to Jesus and you've asked for healing and you've come again and you've come again and you've come again. I want to say to you, you're doing the right thing. Keep doing that. Keep coming. But maybe others of you haven't. Maybe you're, you haven't just thought of him. Maybe you're still skeptical. Come to Jesus with those pains. Trust that if Jesus wants, he has the power to heal you, to heal your loved ones, to heal your friends. Now, here's the deal. S simply coming to Jesus, that doesn't guarantee that they're going to get healed. I don't know why some people's prayers are answered and some aren't. I don't know why some people get better and some people don't. I don't know, but I do know that Jesus heals people. He has the power to do that. And if he wants that, it's going to happen. Final section of verses. Let's go to verse 35. 
So before this, Jesus has spent all night healing people, casting out demons. In verse 35, and rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and they said, hey, where you been? Everybody's looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on up to the next towns, that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Lastly, we see here Jesus using his power to continue his mission. Verse verse 37 says that everybody was looking for Jesus. Now, why is that? Well, it makes sense. The night before, he was healing. He was casting out demons. He was putting on a great display of power. And normally, that would be a good thing. But in this case, it's not. Because these people, they wanted Jesus of what they could get from him. And what the Jewish people really wanted at this time was they wanted a political messiah. They wanted a liberator to throw off the chains that the Roman government, the Roman Empire had placed upon them. They wanted someone to liberate them because that was the promise that had been building in the Old Testament, or so they thought. But Jesus came as a different kind of king. He came as a different kind of mission. He wouldn't fit into their small box. So if he would have stayed, he would have allowed these people to form a wrong idea about who he was. And so what does he do? He keeps going. He keeps continuing his mission to preach that the kingdom of God is at hand, to repent and believe the good news. He was faithful. He didn't get sidetracked. It's so rare today. It's rare in my life. I'm sure it's rare in your life to set out to do something and then to keep doing it. How many of you still doing your New Year's resolution? If you are, that's great. Sorry if I just singled you out. I'm not, okay? But Jesus is faithful. He continues his mission. So what do we do? How do we respond to that? Well, there's two ways. First of all, we should follow Jesus whenever. You'll notice Jesus got up really early in the morning while it was still dark. You know, he didn't sleep in until noon. If I was up that late doing great things, I feel, you know what? I can sleep in. I'm up late. God gets it. I, my, my body's kind of tired, right? Well, in this case, no. Now, I'm going to speculate a little bit here. Uh, I don't know exactly what Jesus prayed in the wilderness. Um, But if I had to bet, I I would guess it was something to the effect, at least included something from Deuteronomy 8, 3. It's what it says. Man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. You know, my guess is that part of Jesus' time in prayer was spent memorizing Scriptures like these, putting them through his brain over and over again until they sunk into his head, sunk into his heart. It helped remind him what he needed most. He didn't need food most. He didn't need water most. He needed to hear his father's words. If Jesus needed that, how much more do you and I need that? We don't need to be entertained. We don't need words with friends, guilty. We don't need Instagram. We don't need Pokemon Go. The thing we need most is we need to hear our Father's words. Let me ask you this. No doubt this is the beginning of the semester. A lot of you are trying to figure out your schedules, especially freshmen. I get it. Things are filling up. You're making commitments. But 
as you do that, as you fill them up with date nights and service events and all these things, do you have time to spend with Jesus? Do you want to spend time with Jesus? Maybe that's a better question. Do you want to read the Bible? Do you want to pray? Because if not, you're not going to do it. I can tell you one thing, and I don't mean to go like crotchety old man, oh, throw my nose at you, but look, here's the deal. You are the least busy in your lives you will ever be right now. Some of you, maybe this is the most busy you've been, and that's true, but it's only going to get busier. If you don't, and we, I, if we don't plan intentionally to spend time with Jesus, if we don't separate, if we don't go to places, if we don't turn off our phones, if we don't have time alone, I don't know what's going to happen. What lengths are you and I willing to go to spend time with Jesus? Jesus wants us to follow him whenever. But secondly, Jesus wants us to follow him wherever. You know, to follow Jesus implies that our life is headed in a certain direction. You know, we don't know the specifics of that path. We don't know where that's going to take us. But to follow Jesus means that we're willing to go where he takes us, imperfectly. A little bit more than not, 51%. I'm not sure if this is the right way, but you know what? I'm going to take a chance here. Think of the disciples for a second. We all know we love to bash the disciples. Excuse me. There's actually one instance here where they seem to get it right. I mean, they, they go and they actually find Jesus. They're looking for him. Now, we don't know all of the specifics about the rest of their lives, but we know a lot of them died very painful and horrible deaths. Peter was crucified upside down. James was martyred. Their lives didn't take very nice paths. See, to be a disciple means that no matter the path, we're willing to follow. Um, as I was prepping this sermon, listened to, again, a, a sermon by Tim Keller, and he told a really great story uh, from George McDonald's book. He wrote a book, a little fantasy story called The Princess and the Goblin. It goes something like this. I'm going to read it some parts because I don't want to screw it up. It's really good. So there's a princess, princess who lived in a kingdom. It was the kingdom of goblins, but she had a house, and it was pretty safe. And one day, she goes to the top floor of her house and discovers she has a fairy godmother. And it was great. She was beautiful. One day, her grandmother, she gave her her ring and a ball of thread to attach to the ring. And the grandmother told her this. The grandmother said, look, I'll keep the ball of thread with me. The thread is so fine that you won't be able to see it, but you can feel it. You can follow it. And if you ever get in trouble... If you're ever scared, if the goblins ever threaten you, all you need to do is put that ring under your pillow and follow the thread. And she thought, that's great. Now I'll be safe. The grandmother said, well, yes, but it might take you on a roundabout way. This might take you where you didn't think it would be safe to go. And so, lo and behold, one night she hears the goblins downstairs. And she gets scared and she remembers the ring, so she puts the ring under her pillow. But much to her dismay... Rather than lead her up the stairs away from the goblins, it leads her back downstairs. So she turns around, goes the other way, the thread disappears. And she realizes that if she goes backwards, it doesn't work. So she builds up enough courage, she goes down the stairs, and pretty pretty soon, outside the house, in a way she never would have thought. But pretty soon she goes further along, she's feeling the thread, she comes to the goblin cave. Pretty soon she goes deeper into the cave, and then she gets to the rock wall. And she's wondering, what do I do 
now, and she starts to feel it, and she realizes that it moves. And so she pushes it down, and she sees her friend George, who'd been imprisoned by the goblins. Her friend George was amazed. He said, what? How, did, how did you find me? She said, well, I follow the thread. I follow the thread that my grandmother gave me. And George is like, that's great. Okay, let's get out of here. And she says, okay, come on, let's follow the thread. But the thread went deeper into the cave. George said, no, 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 what are you doing? We're not going deeper into the cave. We go this way. And you know what the princess said? She said, look, I would have never found you if I didn't follow my thread, even if I didn't think it was good for me. I must follow my thread wherever it goes, wherever it goes and whatever I do. And eventually they found their grandmother. It's a great story. You see the point, right? You know, Jesus wants us to follow him. He's given us a thread. He knows the paths that have brought us to where we are now. And he knows those paths haven't been easy. Jesus, the king, the king with power, he knows those hardships that you and I have faced. He knows the mistakes that we've made along the way, the things that we are ashamed about, the things that we don't want to talk about. And he's okay. He says it's fine. He knows how difficult it is to trust him, but he wants you to come. He wants you to follow that thread. He cast out demons. He healed sicknesses. He continued preaching all so that we would know who he really is. Now look, as the worship team comes back up, I don't know what following the thread is going to look like for you this semester. I don't know what it's going to look like to follow the king. I don't know what specific rock walls. I don't know what specific... Goblins, I don't know what specific caves are out there for you. I know they're there. I know it's going to be difficult. I know it's going to be hard. But I know this, that if you and if I, and if we all together follow that thread, it's going to be worth it. Because one day, one day, we're going to find the end of that thread. And we're going to be welcomed by our great God, by our great King, King Jesus. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we confess the ways that we bristle against your power. We bristle against those who are in power. We don't trust them. We think they're not good for us. We confess we have a problem. But we are so thankful that you are a king with power, power to cast out power to heal sickness, power to continue the mission. Lord, we need you in our lives. We need you to show us that you are good. We're so tempted to read into who you are. We're so tempted to make quick judgments about you. We pray you would give us the courage to read your word, to listen to you, and to follow our thread that you have for us wherever we may go. In 